taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Great to be with you. Hey, as you're getting ready to be seated, turn to the person to your right or left and just say, hey, it's good to sit by you. If it's your family member, say, you, you again? I can't get rid of you. And then you can be seated. It's great to be with you today. If it's your first time at Journey Church, we want to welcome you. Uh, we say often at our church, if you come, that we exist for those not yet here. Uh, and that just means that we want to make sure that we continue to remember uh, to be a church where people that don't normally go to church feel at home, feel comfortable, feel welcome. And so that's my prayer that from the moment you got here, uh, that you could take a deep breath and just relax. I know coming to church for the very first time or maybe coming back again can be a little bit overwhelming. And so we'd like to fill you in on what's going on. We will always sing like we just did for a few moments. And then the last part of our service, they're about an hour, hour and 10 minutes, we will spend uh, in God's word. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to read some Bible verses. We're going to talk about a topic that I believe if you have never been here before, that it could still be applicable to you uh, in some way. If you want to follow along in today's message at all of our campuses, uh, on the, the bottom part of the screen or to each side, if you're in Phoenixville, uh, will be some information on how to download the Bible app. All the notes will be there on the Bible app. And so if you don't already have that, you can do that real quickly. If you don't want to do it right now and you want to wait till next week, uh, that is fine as well. As long as everything else that we talk about and read today, if it's from the Bible, will be on these screens as well so you can keep up uh, with us for the next few moments. But we are in a, a sermon series that we are calling uh, Losing Your, Your Testimony. Uh, and so for those of you who haven't been here or weren't here last week, I, I told you we're going to do a four-week series on, on having a, a, an effective faith, that God wants to God wants to use your life as a witness to, to this world, that, that he wants to, to share his story through your story. And so we, we, we talked about this, and some of you say, why, why is that? And I would say um, that if you are a Christian, which means that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe that he rose from the dead, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead, that this happened 2,000 years ago, that that story's been being shared for the, the past 2,000 years, and this church has been growing, and the message has been, been, been being pushed to the utter ends of the earth. If you claim to, to believe that, and that's part of who you are as a person, then the, the pressure of what you're saying, it falls on you. I, I would say it like this. When I was in college, I went to a little Bible college. There was a bunch of, bunch of people there, maybe about 2,000 students, so about 1,000 guys. And I would say at least one out of every four guys that they would come up to me at some point, and maybe I had this conversation with them, and the conversation would go like this. Uh, I was supposed to go to so-and-so college and be an athlete. I had a full ride, but God decided that I was supposed to go to Bible college, so now I'm here. And I used to think to myself, because there was, there was sports there, there was intramural sports, and there was, you know, you could play softball, and so I had one friend that told me, I was supposed to go to, you know, Houston University on a Division I baseball scholarship, but instead God called me here. Now, I, what I told him, I said, said, listen, if you say those things, and I ask you to be on my intramural team, you can't suck, because you can't say, I'm supposed to be a Division I athlete and then go out and not be able to hit a ball that's the size of the earth being lobbed at you. You're, you're either lying or you're blind, right? Like you, you can't, I had people tell me I was supposed to be a, a division one athlete or division two athlete at a, at a basketball, to play basketball. Then you get on the basketball court and you're like, you're, you're lying. Because if you tell people that you were supposed to do something and then you have an opportunity to do it, you better dominate. Are, are you with me? The same principle is true. If you claim to have these, these beliefs, this faith, this faith in a resurrected man named Jesus Christ, and the faith in the power of, of the empty tomb, and, and the hope of eternity, then the pressure is placed on you. The Bible says that we will be called to testify, that that's what we are called to do. So what, what I did last week is I said, listen, let me give you the significance of what a testimony is, why it's important. I, I told you, listen, somebody with a testimony that lives their life for Jesus in their normal everyday life has a profoundly greater impact than somebody who stands on a stage, that anybody can stand on this stage and perform for you. But if we live our faith in public, because it's essentially uh, the testimony that we share is not about what we know in scripture, it's about what we practice. Has nothing to do with you ever meet somebody, they know every verse in the Bible, every story, but they are a, a, a complete jerk. 
They're judgmental. They're mean. They don't do anything outside of church. They just kind of hang out in the bubble. And I would say, listen, somebody who lives their life outside of the bubble, practicing what they actually believe, that they have a profound effect. So here's the thing. Most of us then lose our testimony without even knowing it. Because there's going to be specific tests that we all are going to face that we're going to have to pass to actually have a trusted testimony. Remember, a tested testimony, a testimony is, a, uh, is a trusted uh, testimony. So we, we talked about kind of building this type of understanding. So what I want to do for the next three weeks is I want to give you three different areas in my life, that, and I think hopefully in your life, that I often, if I'm not careful, I don't pass the test. Really simple things. It's not, do you know your Bible? It's not, did you preach well on Sunday? It's not, uh, did you go to church? It's not, do you have the bumper sticker? It's not, did you listen to Carmen or Michael W. Smith or Reliant K or whatever Christian, uh, Lauren Dagle, whatever. It's a different thing. It's not, have you done the right things? It's it's how are you acting amongst the people who are not yet in in church? And so today I want to talk to you about something that that my wife laughed at me when I told told her I'm going to talk about it. And she said, you are going to talk about this? I'm like, yeah. And so I want to talk to you about patience. And so I would say, if we're honest, most of us would say that's an area we're not that good at. Some of you are awesome at patience. Great, great for you. Good job. You know, whatever, jerk. And so, but for me, I'm not that good at patience. Doesn't mean it's not a big deal. Doesn't mean it's not something that we should talk about. And so I want to talk to you about these things. And here's why. Because the difference between between being uh, useful in and outside the church, it, it, it's, it's connected to how good you are at these next few weeks that I'm going to talk about, how successful that you are. I, I used the driver's test last week. Remember that? I said there's a difference between a permit and a driver's, driver's test. The permit says you have head knowledge. The driver's test says you have street knowledge. If I get in the car with a 17-year-old and they say, I have my permit, I have my permit for the last six, six years, right, or whatever, 23 years old, let's say, have your permit. I, I'm not going to say, okay, cool, you passed the test. I want to know you've been on the road. I want to know you've stopped. I want to know you know how to yield or not yield, whatever. I'm, I want to know that you know how to switch lanes. I want to know you know how to use your mirrors. I want to know that you don't know how to drive. This is, this is what these are all about. It's the difference between head knowledge and, and, and being road tested. I, I want to show you what a road tested uh, faith looks like. So we're going to start with, with patience. And, and here's the thing about patience. I told you last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I said, he, he told us, remember, if you don't have these type of testimonies, you're just a resounding gong. And then he gives us a list of things that are practically impactful in this world. And what does he start with? He says, number one, he says, love is what? Everybody say it with me. Love is, is it up there? Love is, I messed her up so much last time. She yelled at me. I said, we're going we're to take a little bit slower this service with, my, with Becky back there clicking the thing. And so everybody say, what's up, Becky? <laughs> say, it's your fault last service. And so, not my fault. So love, love is, love is patient. The very first thing he says, I, I would have loved that he would have slipped that in somewhere else. We're going to give you like 16 other things and we're going to fit patient in there somewhere between some really important things. But it's like Paul is trying to tell us, one of the most important aspects of your faith outside in the world is that you would be patient, that you would be somebody who's able to put up with things, that you're able to focus on people outside of yourself. You're able to have an enduring spirit. You're, you're, good, at, you're good at waiting. You're good at perseverance. You're good at enduring trials and suffering without complaining. Essentially, I'm good at none of those. But it's like saying, it's the most important part of the love that we want to show this world. And I started thinking, what are the two areas of my life, and maybe you can relate to this, where I am not patient at all? The two areas that, that I slip up the most, like if there was the driver's test, this is the parallel parking of the driver's test. You know what I'm talking Like, I don't even know why. I don't know if they still do that, but I remember when I was a kid, took the permit, went and took the driver's test. You got to go out. First, you got to show her you can put your seatbelt on or him, you can put your seatbelt on. Then you got to put your hands at three o'clock, nine o'clock. And then, and then you got you to make sure your turn signals work. And then you go out and you drive like, and your seat is perfectly straight. You know you ain't keeping your seat like that when you get out. As soon as you get out, I was in a 1989 Ford Escort. I dropped my seat back. I put my one left hand up so I could grab 102.1 or, or, or 100, 100.3 or whatever station it was. And I could listen to some third eye blind or sublime or somebody like that while I cruised in Boyertown without my shirt on. But at the driving test, <laughs> at the driving test, you, you, you get up there and you drive and you do the whole thing. But you know at the end of the driving test what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to parallel park. 
Everything hinges on the ability to parallel. I'm not sure if it does that anymore because they park themselves now. Cars literally, some of you have a car, you can just push it and it parks itself. And so I think parallel parking is equivalent to cursive writing, right? Like why does anybody teach cursive writing? As far as I'm concerned, they teach you emojis in school now. And so anyway, but that's just my opinion. But this is the parallel parking. This is, this is the part of the test that if you're not careful, these are the ways that are going to get tripped up. And I'll just give you two of my parallel parkings when it comes to patience. Uh, first one is people. If I could just live on my own, be around nobody, I would be completely patient with myself. I never, I eat fine. I breathe fine. I don't snore, right? Nobody, I watch what I want. Nobody breaks anything when I'm around. I'm perfect, right? It's when you involve people in my life that I lose my patience. My kids, my wife, uh, my coworkers, you, right? Like I just, I just lose my patience. It's people that come into my life. That's why Paul said this, and I love this Bible verse. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. And then he says this. He gives us three different types of interactions we're going to have with people. And then he says, as an overall concept, what do he say? Be patient with everyone. I'm good with like the first two, right? But it's the idle people, the disruptive people, aka my kids. I have a hard time being patient with them. I'm cool. Listen, I'm cool helping the disheartened people that I don't know that well. I'm okay with the wheat, give them a meal. But you involve people that I personally know or that get on my nerves and patience goes out the door. I have a hard time with people. And the other time I, I tend to lose my patience and the parallel part thing comes up and I fail the test is, is unexpected problems. You know what I'm talking about? Like just when you wake up, just life. You wake up, you have an agenda, you want to make your, your coffee, you go down to your Keurig, it's empty because your wife didn't fill it up the day before, and, and then you go to get some breakfast, and there's no, there's no milk because your kids needed a whole glass of milk to dip three Oreos in, but they didn't drink the milk, they just dumped it out when they were done. You know what I'm talking about? You try to go to your fireplace and turn on your fireplace in your house, and you, you got an electric fireplace or a gas fireplace, you go turn it on, it doesn't turn on. Problems. Like this is this is my. When you get in your car, somebody takes your parking spot. Somebody looks at you the wrong way. The unexpected, the disruptive. When you don't get what you want, when you don't think what you were gonna get is what you want. When when you something happens to you, you didn't want to happen to you. And it's people. It's problems. Lots of times they go together. And I tend in those situations to lose my, my patience. I tend to forget that patience is not just the ability to wait or be okay. It's, it's even in how you behave. Like I, so there's so many times that I'm, I'm patient. But patience is really the ability to not complain and not make, uh, uh, have a bad demeanor and not huff and puff and not make rat, rash decisions. And I got to be honest with you. I immensely struggle in the first area that Paul said, listen, if you're going to have a great testimony, you got to be, you got to be patient. And here's what I often do. Maybe you do this too. When I lose my patience, I'll often say something like this. I just lost my patience. Like real flippantly. Yeah, I blew up kind of. I just lost my patience. Yeah, that lady, she was making a face at me when my car broke down a couple weeks ago and I got out and I'm the pastor of Journey Church and I did it back, made a face back to her and no big deal, I just lost my patience. I just lost my patience with somebody I was talking. I just lost my patience when I drove. I just lost my patience with a coworker. I lost my patience and I want you to understand, just because we, we say it flippantly doesn't mean that it doesn't make a difference. Like what if we just took the word patience out and we put something else? Pretty much anything else we say with lost is a big deal. If you say, I lost my wallet, you're not like, oh, no biggie, get another one. Here's a big fight in my house. I lost my keys. That is code nine in my house. Do not touch. You want to talk about losing? Don't even look at my keys. Don't even breathe around my keys. Like, these are my keys. You touch your own keys, Lee. That's a conversation I have with my wife, right? We're going to have to go to marriage counseling if you don't touch your own keys, right? I lost my keys. How about this one? I lost my kid. It's not like you're like, oh, I, got, I, got, I got two others. It's fine. And in the butt anyways, just lost my kid. Just because you add the word lost after, before patience and it's not that big of a deal doesn't mean it's not that big of a deal. 
I want you to understand that every time you lose your patience, you lose a lot more than your patience. You, you lose your influence. You lose your ability to tell people that God is a patient God. You, you, you lose your, your ability to have a testimony. That when you lose your temper, it actually affects, it affects your testimony for Christ. That, that, that actually Paul tells us, watch this, he says, in Ephesians 4, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, which, by the way, is oftentimes how we feel when we lose our, temp- our patience. I get put into a situation against my will. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. What does he say? Then? Watch what he says. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bear with one another in love. He says, this is what I want you to do. If you're really going to live a life worthy of your calling, you're not going to go across the seas and go on a mission trip to Africa. That's fine. I'm going to maybe be the best Bible theologian in the world. Maybe you will. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you won't ever be a pastor or a singer on the, on the stage. Maybe you won't any, ever do anything that's noticeable in front of anybody else. But let me tell you what's really important. I'm not going to talk about any of those things. Instead, a life worthy of your calling is a life of patience with other people. You see, when you lose your patience, you lose a lot more than you pay your patience. But when you keep your patience, it makes a massive difference. And so what I want to do is I want to end our, our time. We have about 15 minutes, and I want to take you into a Bible story uh, in the book of Acts chapter 7 and just give you a little background, and I want to take you to one of the most extreme stories of somebody who, who exemplifies patience in Scripture. And most of us will never be in a situation like this, but I think this takes away any excuse to why we're not patient. I want to show you this, this story. Let's just kind of give you a little background. The book of Acts just means the actions of the apostles. So they write this story, Luke and Acts, if you read the Bible, Luke and Acts are written by the same man, Luke, he's a doctor. Luke is about Jesus, Acts is about after Jesus goes back to heaven. It's what happens in the early church, the early church was on fire, they were changing the, the world and up to a certain point, they were, they were seeing some form of, of criticism and, 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 and they were getting beat, but they had, no one had lost their life. And this is the very first story in scripture, the very first time that somebody actually loses their life for their faith in Jesus Christ. So the early church, they had some problems as well. One of the problems was they were feeding widows, and there was, there was an argument uh, in, in, that, in that process where people were getting overlooked. And so they come to the apostles, the guys that are preaching in the beginning, and they say, can you handle this? And the apostles say, really, the most important thing we need to do is share the message of Jesus Christ. And so although this is not unimportant, this is not something that we are going to spend our time doing. So what, we, what they did is they, they found something called deacons. If you've been in church, the deacons are the, are the men or the women that fight with the pastor and cause the church to never grow. And so that's what deacons do. But in the early church, in the early church, the deacons were appointed to handle this process. We're going to make this process fair. Uh, we're going to feed widows in a timely manner. We're going to make sure that we use our resources well. And so Stephen... The guy we're going to read about, he's one of the first deacons. That's what he gets appointed. He, the Bible says he's a godly man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. We're not sure if he ever met Jesus, saw Jesus when Jesus was alive, heard of Jesus, but we know he is now a believer in Jesus Christ, and he is a deacon in the church. And so he's doing his duty, and one day he has a chance to preach his first sermon. So he stands up before this crowd, and he begins to preach in the book of Acts chapter 7. And he preaches so good, everybody is pissed off. I love those days. You're like, it is quiet. You can hear a pin drop in this place. Nobody is laughing, right? Everybody's backsides are tight. Stuff's going well, right? <laughs> now, we have never gotten to the point at Journey Church where we have preached a message where it has been kind of a, 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 a tense uh, environment where people actually wanted to kill me. But Stephen preaches so good, people want to kill him. And the Bible says in, in, in Acts chapter 7, verse number 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, those are just the, the religious leaders, the, the church, when they heard his his sermon, the Bible says they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. What does that even look like? Ugh, I'll kill you, right? I envision the 1980s Macho Man Randy Savage interview, right? Ugh, that's a wrestler for you young, young bucks who don't know anything about, about the Macho Man or Hulk Hogan, like, like a pre-WWE, WWF interview right in the back with the bald guy, Gene, whatever his name was. That's what I, they are so mad, the Bible says, that Luke wants us to know that he doesn't know how to describe them, so he just says they're, they're not holding their anger at all. But the Bible says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now we're going to preach our entire rest of our message from that, but I want to keep reading for a second. 
The Bible says, look, he says, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God, which by the way, they don't want to hear this because they think they killed Jesus. So he's telling them, not only didn't you kill Jesus, but he is standing by God because he is God. You tried to stop God, but God was just getting started. And so now they're really mad. And the Bible says they revert back to being a toddler and they cover their ears and they yell at the top of their voices. You ever have kids with this? I can't hear you. Ah! They have completely reverted to being toddlers, the Bible says. And the Bible says they all rush at him, drag him out of the city. And they begin to stone him. It gets serious real fast. And I don't know if you're a historian, you know anything about that, but they're, they're going to kill him with stones. They're going to pick up whatever they can find in the road, and they just begin to throw him because he is blaspheming God now. They're going to kill this man because of their faith in their, in their God. And the Bible says that while they were stoning him, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my soul. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out. And this is, this is amazing, the level of patience he has with these people. He says, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He, he died. He took his last breath. He, he, he met Jesus. Now, I want to show you in this, this story just really four ways, three ways that I, that I lose my patience that I see in verse number 55, how, how we tend to lose our patience. Let's not talk about what patience is. Let's talk about why most of us don't have it. Because you can know about it all you want. You can know what the right thing is, but until you understand why you keep losing it, you're never going to have it. And it's important. So let me just give you a couple. Number one is this, is we lose our patience when we live on empty. We lose our patience when we live our spiritual lives on empty. Let me ask you something. Maybe you're not like me at all. But when you lose your patience, what type of mood are you typically in? Did you just wake up, have a good time, watch the Eagles win, eat your favorite meal? I mean, usually it's the end of a long day. You, you, usually it, it, it's a Saturday when you're home with the kids for, for like three hours. And by the third hour, you have heard them fight over nothing for, for the last three hours. And you get to the, the end. Usually, if it's for me, I had a bad day at work. I come home like I heard something at work that I didn't want to hear. Somebody's mad. Somebody's gnashing their teeth at me. Somebody's covered their ears and they're yelling at me. And they're ready to leave. You hear somebody messed up in their life and you sit with them and your heart is broken, but you are actually carrying the weight of their, their, their decisions on your life, and you go home, and the very first thing that your kids do, what happens? Shut up! They're like, what? I just asked you for milk. Your wife looks at you the wrong way. Let's say you had a bad morning at home and stuff went, went wrong and something broke, and you get in your car and somebody accidentally cuts you off. They didn't even do it on purpose, and you are riding up beside them and telling them, pull off to the side, we're going to do this. <laughs> you're not thinking. You're, you're, living on, you're living on empty. You get to work. You had a bad week. You know, you, the reports came back. You didn't make as much income as you thought you were going to make, and, and you didn't sell enough, and all these things are going bad, and somebody walks in and asks you how your day was, and you flip out on them. And we tend to lose our patience when we live on empty. And what, what, I, what I was wondering is, is if it was me and I was getting stoned for doing nothing but preaching, I don't know that I would have been reacting the same way he did. I don't know that I'm praying for people and I don't know that I'm staying calm. And I don't know that he's not documenting instead of them holding their, their, their ears because of, because of what I said, them holding their ears because of, because, of, because of what I was responding and saying, I, the bad words that I was saying, the curses that I was laying down, the reaction that I was bringing. Like, he, didn't see, he didn't do any of that. The Bible says that he remains patient and, and calm and actually prays for them, and then it lets us know why. Did you, did you see what it said? It says in verse number 55, if you go back in your version Bible app, it says, but Stephen in this situation is full of, do you, do you remember what it said? Full of the Holy Spirit. Here's the difference between Stephen and, and I would say most of us, me included, is he was extremely patient because he was not running on empty spiritually, but instead he was full of the Holy Spirit. So you're going, what does that look like? Well, here's what it, somebody cut me off Monday morning, but I was full of the Holy Spirit and I was okay. Somebody, somebody said something. A coworker gave me a dirty look. A coworker gossiped about me. A coworker shared a story about me that I didn't think they should share, but 
but I was full of the Holy Spirit. My spouse tried to pick a fight with me today, but I was full of the Holy Spirit. My kids, they just woke up. But I was ready for them because I was full of what? The Holy Spirit. I get in my car, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I come to church on Sunday morning, and I'm only ready for you because I'm full. I'm not, if I'm not full of the Holy Spirit, I can't deal with you on Sunday. Let's just be, we can't deal with each other. But I'm full of the Holy Spirit, right? I'm full of the Holy Spirit when I hang out with my kids and, and my wife. Those are the moments that I have patience. But when I am not full of the Holy Spirit and I live on empty, I tend to lose my patience quickly. And here's why. Because the pressure outside of me, it becomes greater than the presence in me. What, what's swarming around me becomes greater than the presence in me. And so the Bible says in Ephesians 5, watch what it says. It says, do not get drunk on wine. It's like he's saying, you're going to get into situations and you're going to want to pour yourself a glass of wine. You're not going to be able to deal with stuff. This is what people do, by the way. This is why, why we drink. We don't drink because it's good. Stop. You drink because it gets you through tough situations. I'm going to go to this wedding. It's going to be super awkward. People are going to have to make me dance, so I'm going to drink. I deal with my, my boss tomorrow, and I'm stressed out, and so I'm going to drink. I'm gonna, my wife, she's going to come home, and she'll be mad at me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink. This is why people go to the, the bottle. We don't go because it's good or refreshing. We go because it enables us to face situations that we don't want to face. The pressure outside of us is too great, so we have to find an outside source. And the Bible is trying to tell us, go inside. Well, watch what he says instead. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, debauchery, instead, be filled with what? Everybody say it. The Spirit. You, you need to be filled up with the Spirit in order to handle the things that are going uh, on around you. Why can he face this? Why, why does he understand what it says in the Bible in the book of 1 John? That greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. That you can overcome anything that's in this world because of the Spirit that, that lives in, inside of you. Why is he okay in, in this situation? Because he understands that the presence inside of him can be greater than the pressures around him that he can face and deal with anything. I would say it's similar to this. Uh, we live in modern times. Aren't you grateful to be in modern times? And what I mean is sometimes I go to Valley Forge and I walk around the house in the cabins and I think, hey, God, good Lord, thank you because I am way too soft to live back then. I've been in there in the summer. You go in one of the houses. It is hot in there, right? You're like, how do you sleep? How did you, how did you do anything in here and just the smell of each other? You just imagine the people in that time, and they, I don't know what they smelled like, but I'm glad I don't have to smell them, right? I go into the cabin and think, man, guys slept in these cabins for a winter, and it's cold, and there's spiders, and there's things that I don't even want anywhere near me, and I'm, I pray, God, thank you that I live in my house, because what happens is, in those houses, the outside dictates the inside. It doesn't matter. You can put a fire on if you want, but they were still cold, you know that, in the, in the winter. You, you can, I don't know what you did in the summer, but the outside temperature dictated the inside, but not in modern times. See, I didn't wake up today as the wind is blowing and the trees are losing leaves and it's cold outside and wake up and go. <sighs> See, last night I went to bed, I just took my thermostat and I said, I said, ha ha, cold. And I went click, 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 click. And I got in my covers and I just 60, 69, 70 degrees and I just pulled my covers up. And I said, the outside does not dictate the inside of this house. Oh no, Satan get behind me. When the summer comes and it gets hot, I don't leave my windows open. I close every window on my house and I say, hey, let's switch this to HVAC. Click, 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 click. And I set that thing down to 67 and I sleep like I want to. I, I am in control of the weather in my house. Same principle. Stop using the excuse. You don't know my kids. You don't know my wife. You don't know my coworkers. You don't know the kids that I teach, man. You don't know. I'm a nurse. More power to you if you're a nurse, by the way. And I got to deal with patients. You don't know them. Yes, I do. I deal with sick people all the time in church. I know what they're like, right? You don't know them. They, they drive me crazy, right? No, 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 no. The pressure around you does not have to be stronger than the presence in you. And here's the problem with so many of you. You think getting filled with the Spirit is a one-time thing. And it's not. It's like if I go on a road trip and I say I'm going to drive to Oklahoma and it's going to take me 21 hours. And it's almost 1,300 miles, and I fill up my Honda Cross Tour, and it gets about 330 miles. And I fill it up one time and try to drive, and we die on the side of the road. And I go, I don't know what happened. The car just died. I call AAA. They're like, your car is empty, dummy. 
You should have stopped about 30 miles earlier at a rest stop and filled up on loves or whatever you need to do and got some gas and got, got a, a monster energy drink and kept going. And that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to stop every couple hours and, and fill up. And I would say the same thing to you. The problem is many of you, you cannot face your life circumstances. You constantly lose your pressure because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't spend enough time waiting in, in his presence. And the problem is when you don't wait in the presence of the Lord, you will never be able to handle the weight of this world. You, you, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the more, the more space that you create for God to fill you up, the more grace that you will give other people. I won't say that again because that took me a long time to come up with. The, the, the more, I've seen it, the more space, when my, when my devotions are on point, when I'm spending time in God's presence, when I'm reading on parenting books and leadership books and, and asking the Holy Spirit to fill me up and worshiping him and, and I'm listening to the right music in, in my car, I'm not just listening to 94.1 or 97.5 and all this talk radio, but every once in a while I go to 106.9 and I listen to some K-Love and, and Lauren Daigle or, 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 or Matthew West fill me up with, with, with some good worship and I, and I listen, man, when I do those things, And I'm on point, man. The more space that I create for God to move in my life, the natural thing is the more grace that I give to other people. Let me give you just two more quickly, and we're going to get out of here. Number two is this, is I think we lose our patience. This one's kind of short, but this one's important. Not only do we live on empty, but we lose our patience when we lose our focus. We lose our patience when we lose our focus. Let Let me explain to you. The first thing he says is, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. My reaction tells people that I'm filled with with the Holy Spirit. But I want to show you what he does next. Does he look at the people and start talking about the people and focus on the people? Does he take out the rocks and say, that one's going to hurt? Does he focus on what they're saying, how they're gnashing their teeth and holding their ears? Does he do any of that? I want to show you what he does. If you read, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then it continues and it says he looks up to heaven and he sees the glory of of God. You see, when we are placed under a stressful situation, what do we most often do? We most often focus on what is right in front of us. And what I have found is we often allow what is right in front of us to distract us from the one who has promised to be over us. We look around and we lose our focus. We don't look to heaven. As soon as we see a stressful situation, oh boy, with my kids, I'm going to whoop your butt, right? I don't go, give me five minutes. I see them and that's all I see. It is like a bull, right? I see broken things. I see fights. I see yelling. I I don't go back to heaven and say, Jesus, take me, take them, take one of us. Help me, Jesus. I just lose, as soon as I see it, I lose my mind. As soon as I deal with somebody that I don't want to deal with, I lose my mind. As soon as something breaks in my house, I don't step back and go, let me focus on you, Jesus. You're so good, Jesus. Thank you for this house you're giving me, Jesus. Thank you that I'm not in a fire right now in California or I have a home in my head. I can't believe this isn't working. Jesus, fix this. Why are you smiting me? That, that, is, that is my honest to goodness response. I can't even believe I do it sometimes. And the truth is it's because I lose my focus. My first response is not to fix my eyes on Jesus. You see, I want to teach you an acronym for focus, and it simply goes like this, fixed on Christ under stress. You're going to get under stress. Every time, I bet if you would do that, every time that your kids say something to you, that your parents say something to you, that your coworker, if you would just stop and take your eyes off of that person or that situation or that scenario and just put your eyes on Christ, you're going to be fixed on Christ under stress. Man, think about it. We do it with our kids. When your kids go to the doctor to get shots, do you go to them, hey, here's, here's, here's what you do. They're going to bring this shot out. It's a sharp, sharp needle, and I want you to keep your eyes on the needle the whole time. <laughs> I want you to watch it. They're going to pierce your arm into your artery, and then they're going to fill you up with some kind of liquid. We don't even know what's in there, but it's going to help you. It'll be cool, though. You'll get a Shrek Band-Aid at the end. What do you, if you tell your kids that you are the worst parent in the world, I'm I'm preparing them for life. You're dumb. What do you tell your kids? You're going to get a shot. You want to be honest with them. You're going to get a shot. Here's what we're going to do. As soon as she walks into the, into the room, don't even talk to her. If she asks you a question, you ignore her. She is your enemy. 
She's going to give you a shot. You're going to look at me the entire time. You're going to keep eye contact with me. I'm going to count to three, two, one. They're going to stick you. It'll be over before you know it. It's going to feel like that pinch that I gave you under the table the other day. <laughs> That's what we, we say. Don't look at the shot. Focus on, on, on me. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing in your life. When, when you're facing areas of your life that are tempting you to lose your patience, evaluate what, don't you often just go right after whatever's in front of you instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus, staying fixed on Christ under stress? And so I think we lose our focus. I think we live our lives on empty. I think when we're filled up that we're able to better find, uh, find patience. And then lastly, number three, and this one is, is maybe, maybe helps to understand the other two, is, is we lose our patience where we least trust God. Ultimately, the inability to, to control yourself and have patience in life circumstances is actually a great indicator to tell you where you are struggling to trust God. Because here's the thing, patience is just the fruit of trust. Some of you say, I just want to be more patient. I just want to calm down, and then you never do. And the truth is, it's because you have a really difficult time trusting God. That, that's for me. When, when I am losing my patience, when I... When I'm losing my patience at church, when I'm losing my patience at, at, at work, when I'm losing my patience with my kids, when I'm losing my patience in different areas of my life, I, 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 would, I would tell you that oftentimes if you would dig underneath, do a little excavation of my, of my actions, you would see a heart that's not really at peace in trusting Jesus. When it's at work and spe- specifically for me here, when something goes, goes unexpectedly and a conversation is had or somebody's leaving or whatever's going on. And all the time I lose my patience in that moment, but not with them. I lose it later on with different people. It's because that situation has actually rocked my trust in God. When something breaks in my house and I lose my patience, it's because I think that I'm not going to have enough money to fix it. And if I spend all my money to fix that, I'm not going to have enough money to do this. And if I don't have enough money to do that, then my life won't be complete. And the truth is I'm just not trusting God. That's where my patience wanes. At work, same thing. I get, I get in a situation with somebody at work, and you do. I don't, I'm not kind of in the same situation, but somebody has stolen something from you that you think you deserve or, or want underneath you to stab you in the back, and you've lost your, your patience. And the truth is you're afraid that that person can take from you what God wants to get to you. And you don't trust God. It's with your kids, same thing. <laughs> you think if they don't get their act together, they're going to turn into mass murderers. They're going to break everything in my house. I often laugh because I think to myself, my dad has to sit back and just get a kick out of my current life because I did everything that that my kids do and more. And so when I say, they're just driving me crazy, I'm thinking, no, this has just been the rhetoric of history since the dawn of man. Why is dad mad? Why is dad getting upset? Why is dad yelling? It's because that's what dads have always done. And I think it's because in those times I'm not trusting God. And I want to show you this last part of this story. If you, if you keep reading, this is, this is the most powerful moment in this story. And, and I think one of the most overlooked powerful moments in scripture. Not only is this the first martyr, not only is he going to be stoned, not only is he staying immensely patient, not only is he trusting God, but we see why. You see, he focuses his eyes to Jesus, and oftentimes if, if you would focus your eyes towards Jesus, that patience would begin to, begin to follow. Now, we know in, in the scripture that Jesus, oftentimes it says of him that, that he ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. In fact, it says that about 16 times in the, in the New Testament. It'll say the Son of Man, Jesus, whatever, and then it'll say he sits at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is a place of authority and honor. See, when you stand before, you stand before God someday and God is the righteous judge and he has the opportunity because he's a righteous judge to judge your life and you will be seen for all of your filth and all of your sorrow and all of your mistakes. You see, for those of us who are in Christ, when he begins to see all those mistakes and all those filth and have that opportunity, Jesus will step in front of us. And because of what Jesus did for us on that, that cross and how he rose from the dead, he defeated death and hell. And the Bible says when God sees us, that he's actually going to see Jesus. So 
is a powerful picture. So he sits at the right hand of God. He welcomes people. He's in control. The Bible says that he intercedes in that position for people like you and me to have a relationship with him, that he calls us out by name, that that's what he, where he's at right now. The Bible says that he's sitting there in anticipation of God saying, go get them. Now, one day that he came the first time as a baby, but one day he is coming as a righteous warrior to save his church. And he's going to take us back and we're going to live with Jesus and with God forever, that we will live in perfection that we will live in unity, that we will live without disease and sorrow and poverty and everything else that messes up this earth and no sin, that Satan will be cast into a lake of fire never to torment anyone again. That that's the end. But right now he's sitting. That's, that's what the Bible says 16 times. Except for right here. Did, did you, if you read it fast, you miss it. But in this passage, the Bible says that Jesus, if you read it, it says that he looks to heaven... And what does it say if you read verse 55? And he sees the glory of God. And then he sees Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? He's standing. It's almost like Jesus is saying, don't make me come down there. Or maybe, maybe Stephen knows it's the end of his life. And he realizes all that Jesus has done for him. And he realizes that, that really it's not the end of anything. It's the beginning of something. That he's going to go through a few moments of suffering, but the Bible says to consider it pure joy when you face trials and suffering of any kind. And maybe he sees Jesus just giving him the thumbs up and saying, I'll see you in a minute. Or maybe Jesus is just ready to meet him because he's the very first one that would ever die for his cause. I'm not sure what it is, but I think when he looked up, he just had this immense level of trust and God, and when you have trust in God, you are a patient person in the midst of a situation that you not, did not desire, that you do not believe you deserve, that you don't, you don't want. You see, he gets into this moment with Jesus, and he teaches us all something about trust. He shows us what it's looked like to have a relationship with God. And here's the thing. Why, why is patience so important for us as Christians? At the end of it, the reason it's so important is because there's nothing that exemplifies the heart of God more than patience. Think about it. Think about how patient Jesus was with the woman at the well. He could have taken her down. He could have called her all sorts of bad names. He could have said, you're worthless. You keep sleeping with everyone. You're not married. And instead he says, I got a better plan for your life. And he's patient with her. He's patient with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He's patient with Peter. He's patient with his disciples that continue to ask him to do things for them out of a selfish manner. He's patient with you and me. In fact, if there's a message in Scripture that's reiterated over and over and over again, it's patience that God has for us. Watch how many times just in the Bible and Psalms I found this week, just quickly. Psalms 86 says, You, O Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in kindness and truth. Psalms 103 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Psalms 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Over and over and over again, the Bible says God is patient with us. So that's why as Christians, he wants us to be patient with other people because it shows him and shows them, shows our world, the character and the qualities of a God that loves them more than they can imagine. And maybe we haven't talked enough about me and you, but God is ridiculously patient with us at all of our campuses. He was patient in here when you walked in late today. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe, he don't need you to get here. The Bible says the rocks will cry, but when you get here today, he doesn't sit back and go, where were you at? Yes, I saw Pico was there. I get it. I know there was traffic. He says, I am so excited that you're here today. Some of you came into this place, and man, you have messed up this week, and you have been disobedient, and you have been distant from God, and you have tried to be your own, your own God this week and make your own decisions, or maybe in your life, and God is not standing distant from you saying, man... I've given you enough chances. He is patiently calling you to him. He's a patient, patient God, loving God, 
enduring God. So that's why he wants us to be patient with this world. You see, the more, the more you understand the supernatural patience that God has given you, the more natural that patience will be for you to give to other people. Would you stand with me all over this house and would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me as we get ready to cl close and leave? One of my favorite verses is in 2 Peter 3. And one more time, it references the patience of God. Because many people say, why hasn't God come back? Why hasn't Jesus done what you said he was going to do? You said he's coming back to set things right. Why does he keep letting people suffer? Why does he keep letting the world be, the Bible says, in, in labor pains, groaning for the return of him? Why is he allowing that to go on? And watch what it says in 2 Peter 3. Just listen with your eyes closed. The Bible says that the Lord is not, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is, he is patient with you. He's patient. Why is he patient? He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is he so patient with you? Why is his love so enduring? Why does he keep giving you chances? Why, why is he here right now? He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to repentance. What, what does that mean today? If you're not a church person, that simply means you stop being in control of your life. That you are not your creator. And until you figure that out, and until you understand that you are here on this earth for a bigger reason, a bigger purpose, that you will long for something that you will never find. That you will be riddled by anxiety and fear because that is as a result of you trying to be in control. That you will be impatient because you believe that you have to get your, your own. That your time is of the essence. That this is what happens outside of God. But there's a God that loves you, that longs to have a relationship with you. That he loves you more than you can imagine. There's a God that wants to give you peace. There's a God that wants to give you purpose. There's a God that is not overly concerned with your past, but he is, he is excited about your future. That in fact, it's your past that he can use for his glory. That church is not a place for perfect people. That this is not a place for even religious people. That this is a place for saved people. That Jesus wants to save me. That he wants to rescue me. That he wants to redeem me. That he wants to set me free. And so if you're here right now, if you're at other campuses and you're, you're there and somebody's standing in the front just like I am, See, at the end of every service, we don't just preach and leave, but we believe that there's more, more going on. There's a greater power at work than just the words of a man. Uh, God's here right now at all of our campuses, and he has already began to work. And we believe God reaches his hands out like a father on Sunday mornings. And essentially what he's saying is, come home. C come home. Stop wandering. Stop hurting. Stop searching and come home. And for you, what does that look like? The Bible says if you, would, if you would repent with your mouth and believe in your heart in this man named Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, that on the third day that when they put him in a tomb, that he rose in power, that he ascended to the right hand of God. And the Bible says he intercedes for you right now. By name, he says, hey, come home. I love you more than you can imagine. You haven't done too much. You're not too far gone. You're not hopeless. You're not broken. I'm the redeemer. I'm the restorer. I'm the one who sets people free. I have the power to change you forever. But you make the decision. His hands are outstretched. And every week we give people an opportunity. There's nobody looking around in our rooms. We got our own junk to deal with. Church people are praying for you right now. And the, the, the real ones, they know. They know how powerful that this moment is. They know how significant that this moment is. They know how life-changing it is because they've also went through it the same way. Many of them remember the very seat that they were sitting in, the very Sunday that they came to where they said yes to Jesus. And so if you're here right now and if you need to say yes to Jesus, if you need to repent and give your life to him, what we do at Journey is we say, hey, that's me. It's my moment. I can feel God. He's talking to me. And right now I want to pray with you. And I'm not going to make you come forward. Maybe you've never prayed before in your life. Maybe you don't understand what that is. Prayer is simply us crying out to God. 
simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. I know you see me where I'm at. And Jesus, right now, everything that I am is yours. And so if you're here right now, if you're in Royersford, Limerick, and Plymouth meeting, if you're watching online, maybe when I give people a chance, you would just say, I responded. But you would say, hey, that's me. We're going to pray as we close here. But I want to know that I'm praying with you front to back, side to side, every campus. If that's you all over our house, you say, I want to give my life to this patient, enduring God right now. He has patiently brought me to this moment. I have said no to him before, but today I'm saying yes. Today I want him to be the Lord and Savior of my life, of my future, of my past, of my eternity. Today is my day. I'm going to say yes to God. If that's you, would you just simply shoot your hand up in the air and say, God's been working on my life. He's been moving in my life. He's been speaking to my heart. And today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you're at Phoenixville and you say, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air and say, hey, that's me. I'm not, I'm not asking you to worry about the person to your right or left. I see two hands right over here. Is there anybody else? You say, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. I'm only worried about me and Jesus right now. And he is, he is drawing me to him. Is there anybody else? Say, hey, pastor, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. There's somebody in Limerick. Let's clap for that person in Limerick. Come on, wait one more second. Is there anybody else? Hey, Pastor, that's going to be me. If you're at another campus and you yet to respond, just quickly shoot your hand up and say, hey, today's going to be my day. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Let's begin to pray, church. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your word that it never returns void. Thank you for, for drawing people to yourself. Jesus, we, we ask that you would save people right now, that people would put their full trust in you. That the Bible says that they would confess with their mouth and believe in the heart that Jesus is Lord, that we would be saved, Lord. And so, Lord, we are grateful and honored that we get to welcome our family, our friends, into your family. We're grateful for the message that changes people's forevers, that changes families, that changes destinies, that changes eternities. Lord, thankful, we're thankful for all that you've done, Lord, and we leave this place. Lord, just build this immense, faith-filled level of trust in you. Lord, make us people that are patient to reflect your patient nature. God, God, use our life as a light for you in this world with our co-workers and our family and our kids and everywhere that we go. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are going to continue to work this out in us, that we are not a finished product, Lord, that we have a lot to work on to become all that you have called and created us to be. But Lord, this church is filled with workers. The Bible says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That means we take it serious. And so we will put the work in so that we can become what you have called and created us to be. Lord, thank you for all that you've done here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name that we pray. Church, would you shout amen one more time? Come on, let's clap together.